Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 79. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have third degree black belt Matt Baker. Matt is a gold medalist at the 2019 IBJJF Masters World Championship and the owner of two academies in Bakersfield, California. He talked about the passion that is required to run a business, how important it is to keep things simple, and my main takeaway from the interview came when he talked about leadership, which inspired me to title this episode, Be the Leader You Would Follow. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the leadership topic and share with you the audio of two experts in leadership. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Woos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Matt Baker. Matt is a third-degree black belt and a gold medalist at the 2019 IBJJF Masters World Championship. As well, being a champion competitor, Matt is an experienced referee that has worked for the IBJJF, Grappling X, and Grapplers Quest. Matt is the owner of two academies in Bakersfield, California. He is the founder of Jiu-Jitsu System, which believes Jiu-Jitsu is a language and Jiu-Jitsu is the most fluent way of speaking that language. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's a joy to be on here. Yes. Yeah, so tell us how Jiu-Jitsu show up in your life, martial arts in general, and then eventually Jiu-Jitsu, if Jiu-Jitsu was the first one or not. Well, I, my introduction to Jiu-Jitsu was, was, was kind of... I don't want to say by accident, but it was a process of doing different type of martial arts. I was originally fascinated with kickboxing. And then what I ended up finding out was it just wasn't a good fit. It took me about two and a half years, though, to come to that conclusion. And right around this time was a was the early 90s. So where I was originally training, they had different types of martial arts. And uh, kickboxing was what I was trying to make work. But then as soon as I started rolling around, and it was very archaic back then. But one thing that was really obvious was that jujitsu was really something you could do every day. You know, kickboxing, you're banged up. You can, you know, once you spar, you, you, you just, it's not very practical to go to work the next day. You're usually mm-hmm. pretty tired or pretty, you know, you know, if you have good training partners, it, didn't, it wasn't a good day. But in the case of jujitsu, or at, at that time, it was actually grappling. Um, it was really easy to have a good workout and then go straight to work. And I thought, geez, this just makes more sense. And then this was around the time when all the UFC stuff started like, you know, presenting itself and, you know, shortly after. And yeah, that was it, man. That's, that's, that's when I became 
very interested in jujitsu and it became a lifestyle. And how do you feel jujitsu relates to life? Jiu-jitsu relates to life because, well, I mean, it's, it's without a question. I think the, the, the more you do jiu-jitsu, the more you realize it becomes part of your DNA, part of your mental process. So um, jiu-jitsu is a martial art, but more than that, it's actually a way of, uh, of just addressing problems. So w when you're training on the mat, you know, you're, you're thrown into these positions. And if the, if the person is stronger than you or faster than you, then that's when you either give up or you get smart and creative. And I think that smart and creative success that you develop, that's what you start to translate into other parts of your life from your, from your relationships, your marriage, uh, your, your occupation, um, basically everything. So, you know, it's mental training. Jiu-jitsu is mental training. So, yeah, I, don't, I talk with, especially the beginners a lot about this because they, they don't know. Sometimes they come, not sometimes most of them are coming here because of the the self defense the physical aspect but they don't know the the main the mental and the emotional part of it the mental as you just mentioned about problem solving that you're consistently dealing with that under pressure uh with someone trying to choke you and you're trying to figure it out solve that problem how do i get out of here and the emotional resilience that you build with jiu jitsu because especially at the beginning is very frustrating the teachers giving you all kinds of pieces for this puzzle and you're like what do i do with all these pieces and a lot of people can get frustrated so going over just getting that emotional resilience building that knowing that it's a it's a long process and they start to understand and and like you said uh dealing with different tough positions and situations so yeah that's that's a I think the best part, to be honest, that a lot of people don't know about it, the mental, the emotional. And I think it's, uh, it's nice that more people are talking about it and bring more to surface, you know, that A is not just about kicking ass and, and being physical, you know. So this is uh, something that people have been talking more, and I'm glad that people are talking more about that. Now, when did you have this part to pursue jujitsu for a living when you realize, you know what, I think I want to do this full time? Well, where I'm at, I live in Bakersfield and, uh, you know, that's about two hours or an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. So Bakersfield's a very conservative town. Um, it's right in the middle of California. So it's not, not next to the Bay area, not next to the, you know, there's just long story short, uh, for a while it was limited in its resources and it was a very conservative town. So that means everything that means including jujitsu. So it became important for me to start traveling and to, to really, you know, get better, reliable instruction and just different exposed to different things. So, so, uh, long story short, what ended up happening was I was driving pretty much everywhere at least once or twice a week. And, um, you know, you know, after a while that became very difficult to do. So while I was doing that, I was actually trying to find people in Bakersfield to train with that were, you know, on the same page. And eventually the idea came up like, you know, we're kind of tired of training in so-and-so's garage, John's garage, then Tom's garage and Brian's garage. Can we just maybe like rent a place? So, you know, the responsibility and the request was kind of thrown on my lap because I had the most experience out of our small group. And uh, that's pretty much what, what started the whole movement. So we, we rented a small building about, I think it was 800 square feet. 
man, yeah, 800 square feet. Might even not have been that big. I don't even remember, but that was back in 2003. Oh, wow. So, and then that's where, yeah, so that's where I, uh, I soon realized that like, okay, you know, this wasn't in the brochure. Once you sign a lease, now you pretty mm -hmm. much have to pay. I was young. I was <laughs> mentally young at the time too. Yeah, my, my uh, business skills were not really there. And then I, I remember someone telling me like, you realize what you just did, right? You committed yourself to something. So you got to be here all the time now. And uh, fortunately, it wasn't a bad job. So yeah, so that's where it all started. And then from that point on, I, you know, it's been interesting to see jujitsu, how it's become more, more recognized, more, you know, there is a culture that's growing and it's going from martial arts to commonality. And it's really nice to be, be a part of it. And it's nice to see it developing and where it's going too. So, but that's how it started. And how did you deal with, let's say some of the, the doubts or securities or fears that come up when you start in a new business, because you have a lot of listeners who are in transition about to open up a business and try to find out how the mindset was. I, I know they mentioned it was kind of like a little naive. They were just like, oh, I'm going to do this. And next thing you realize, oh, wow, I have yeah. a lease, you know, but so when you can you uh, do you remember some of the how was the mindset back then? Well, I think when you go into opening any business, jujitsu, really any business, you have to understand that you're not going to make money right off the bat. It's not, you know, it's got to be a passion. It's got to be something that you enjoy doing. Um, it's got to be something that you can do even when you're tired. Because if, if your motivation to work is based on, I feel good today, let's go work. Um, there's a lot of moments where you don't feel that way. And then on top of that, the next phase is whenever you're, well, and there's different phases, but let's just say this. The first couple of doubts that I would say I ran into was, am I going to be able to pay for things? And the answer is, it's going to be difficult. It's, it's going to be difficult. And this is what I would try to, to do. Um, there's two ways that I see schools succeed. Uh, one is the person starts it as a side project. And what they do, and this is probably for any business, they have another source of income that they keep. They don't burn bridges with. And that becomes their first sponsor, their first sponsor and their first way of making things work until this becomes sustainable on its own. Then there's that great moment. If you're, if you're doing everything right, finally say, can I let go of my other source and go a hundred percent in completely? Some people make that decision. Um, for me, it, you know, I've, before the academies opened, I actually always had three jobs. So that was kind of where the complaint was. You realize that you can't work at your other job because you're going to be here all the time. But, um, you know, I was fortunate in a sense where it wasn't so much about paying the rent. It was like, am I going to pull money from my family in order to pay the rent? And that's something that, you know, it, it, I remember one month in July, um, I had 20 people and I was really excited and four of them paid. And I was like, thanks a lot, guys, for so that month was like a reminder, like, okay, I need to start being a little bit more organized and maybe tell people, hey, as much as we're friends, um, realize that, you know, this is kind of something that so there's that part of, uh, of speaking up that you might have to do at the beginning. But in, I think genuine con contact. And I remember sitting down and having like a speech with everybody saying, here's the bottom line, this is the rent, this is the pg &E, this is it. And, uh, you know, when we got into this, I know a lot of you were motivated. Some of you got busy, but um, in the end, you know, um, for this to keep going, we all have to be a little bit, you know, contributive, you know, to it. You know, it, it can't be all on, on Jill and myself. So 
you might have to have one of those conversations when you're first starting out if you're starting out with not so much of a backup backup plan so the other scenario which is you know you know if I'm making sense still um, some individuals they invest they get a, you know a savings or a big you know cushion of money and then they they throw it in and, and that's fun but it can be disappointing if you're not careful because you know if you have twenty thousand dollars and then you go spend ten about ten thousand on mats and then you have a lease and all that and it ends up being you know a little bit more than what you're familiar with and that's the only thing one thing that i noticed that becomes difficult for people when they start is when they're trying to get students and they're aggressive because they have to be whenever you're talking to a consumer or a potential client and you're looking at them you're saying this is how it needs to be and you're showing that they can sense that they can they can feel that you're struggling to keep the doors open so any person starting off, um, two things, make sure that you have another source so that way you're not completely under the pressure because it's obvious to people. So if there's anything that I think helped me out at the very beginning was that when I opened the school up, it was more of a time concern than a financial concern. But then when it became like, okay, I'm putting in all the time, but then you guys, you know, there's, you know, four of you out of 20, that means that there's no appreciation or there's no understanding. So let's just be really clear. I'm going to be really cool, but you guys got to be a little cool too, you know? So, uh, so fortunately I still paid the, you know, the rent, but I just said, I don't want to do this again. I can go back to teaching in my own garage or whatever. So those are joys of starting. But what I will say is that one thing that was happening then you would say jujitsu and people would, well, they still do kind of, they would do like, they would do like the karate, you know, like, Oh no, no, that's not jujitsu. Excuse me. You know? So now you say jujitsu, people understand. They understand. Okay. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the grappling stuff. So it's, it's, it's a lot easier to, to get people to understand what you're trying to offer them now. So uh, that part of that part of getting students, I think is a lot easier for people. I remember in the like early nineties, uh, my instructor on the Pedineras, uh, we have, we go to class and sometimes there's like just a, a big sign or the names of people who are owed the month. Like, hey guys, these people here need to pay because it's still kind of like the same thing. There's some competitors, some are not. It's just not a professional, you know, like this is early 90s, you know, so it's kind of kind of fun. You have like the the list with the names and stuff. The same, in the same way, he's, He's always been an entrepreneur, like hustling. He's like, guys, I got to pay the rent here, you know? So, of course, now it's completely different. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's interesting because you have some people that run really loose, you know, you know, arrangements, and then some are, like, super stiff to the point where they don't let anything. Like, sorry, you know, you're out of luck. So uh, my – I think being genuine and having relationships with students – that's always important and you can always, you know, be flexible in that. But then again, you just got to tell them like, you know, there's a fine line where, Hey, we got to be a little bit, you know, on the same page. And, uh, you know, I think if you, I think if you're genuine with your students and what I mean, that word's very important to me because genuine, what I, what I think of that word is you're honest, you're being real with them. Like, Hey, just so you know, like I understand having a hard time, so don't worry about it. But like, whenever you can, like, please, you know, be on the same page and, you know, don't just not pay because you feel entitled, you know, you know, because that sets a, that sets a, a pattern for other people. And that's another thing that, that, that I, is that whenever you, 
whenever you're really loose with certain people, you know, not paying and, and not being on the same page, all it takes is one of them to say, you pay how much? Well, I haven't paid in a while. And then you have someone with hurt feelings and all that. These are parts of the business that I don't think people consider until like, you know, after the fact. I know I didn't really think about it, but I soon had to figure out like there's got to be a sense of balance of everything. So, sure. And one thing that you mentioned about having some type of income, you know, next to it. And I always mention here the motivational speaker, Jim Rome, late Jim Rome. Uh, one of the quotes that um, I think I learned from him that uh, I, I live that too. And you did. And I think many of the, the listeners to work full time on your living and part time in your dream. And one day with a lot of hard work and dedication and, and patience, you'd be able to turn that the part-time into your full-time. So it's exactly what I said. Just slowly start in one way and little by little start minimizing the other one until you get to the point. But each one knows exactly what, what works better for them. And each one have different um, situations. And But I definitely like that approach of like slowly coming in. But that's me. Uh, what would you say in this journey since 2003, so if you can pick one that comes to your mind, a toughest entrepreneurial experience and what did you learn from it? Something that you just kind of struggle to deal with some of the situations, uh, being a, a new business owner, what did you say? Well... One of the things that I found really challenging was whenever the boom of, of, of MMA started happening, um, there was a lot of people that were asking like, okay, so, you know, I want to have a fight. I want to be an MMA fighter. So, I yeah, I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but I know that once the Ultimate Fighter About show happened, or five. a lot of people came yeah, they were, they were, I would, it was probably like the second, second, maybe third year of that show. I noticed a lot of people were wanting to do MMA, but they weren't people that were necessarily qualified. They were people, and I'm, and I'm not saying qualified in the sense of, they were people that were coming in off of the street with almost zero martial arts experience, but they just wanted to have that chance of fighting. And there were several opportunities because there was casinos that would just look for people to fight. Uh, you know, so you'd have mismatches and everything. So the opportunity to fight was definitely there, but wanting to train them was a different story because not a lot of people were willing to be students. So we had a couple people that maybe came in once or twice and then they, they went and signed up and then they used our name and I'm like, wait a second. I'm not, you know, I would get like a, a message down the road, like, Hey, you're a guy. And I go, I don't even know who this guy is. Like, how did you, you know, there was no screening process at all. So, so that was one problem, the, the misrepresentation that, that I saw was, a, you know, a little bit of, of an, you know, of an issue. Like I had to clarify a couple of things. The other scenario that um, also was tied in with that was those individuals that wanted to fight, they would come in and they would start hurting people that were, you know, that were, you know, good students. And uh, part of the reason why is because they, they weren't really, you know, they didn't have very much experience but they saw this as all of an opportunity to fight. So injuries, I had to, you know, really, really watch injuries and make sure that they didn't create a negative environment. Environment is everything. So it, it ended up being a scenario where now I don't even have an MMA program. So some people choose to have one. 
but I find things are a lot easier for me when I'm focusing completely on jujitsu and I don't have, you know, I don't have these guys coming in that, you know, that are lacking manners and wanting me to really, really bend over backwards to try to accommodate them and get them fights. I hear you loud and clear on that, you know, because I've been around, yeah. you know, like that kind of saw that wave coming to with Ultimate Fighter. Definitely was a big shift in the market. That was a big shift. And it helped. I think it helped to bring awareness, you know, for sure about jujitsu, but brought that kind of like maybe not as good aspect to it. But I, I feel that now we started to, over the past few years, I felt just started to kind of like, now, whoever really wants this goes to the side and this route of maybe MMA, whoever is really uh, intrigued by jiu-jitsu starts to really pursue more like, okay, let me find out more about this jiu-jitsu thing, not necessarily the fighting. So I think there's um, for everyone's taste, I, I believe now. Um, we're talking prior to the interview and talking about different topics to share with the listeners about entrepreneurship. And then we're touching on the subject of leadership, which is a huge topic. And I have mentioned on a podcast before that, man, I, I didn't, especially when I started teaching, I, I never put really thought into the word leadership. So like, you know what a leader? Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, I never really put the thought to the word, what evolves the leadership. And I think that has been my lesson for the past 10 years is to improve. I still have a lot to grow on that, but I think every year I'm getting a little better, but it's a big topic for any business owner. So I would love to hear your thoughts on leadership and the importance in businesses. Yeah. Leadership is probably one of the more overlooked things that I see happening with, with, uh, with individuals when they first start. So there's two different times when leadership becomes an issue at the very beginning when someone opens up a facility an academy um, they might be really good at jujitsu and that's probably why they got the attention to teach but then when they open up an academy what 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 needs to be addressed is the conduct like you know and I'm not saying you know no one's perfect but at the same time the way that individual handles problems, the way that an individual carries themselves outside of their gym, it's going to be hard to get people that are quality to really value your opinion if you have issues outside or you have habits or you have a perception of the way that you treat people. All of those things are, 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 are problems or that's that lack of leadership is probably one of the first hurdles I think someone needs to get past when they first start out. So if they, yeah, if they're good at jujitsu, that's great. But whenever you open up the doors and you tell people, hey, I'm here to offer you advice. I'm here to teach. I'm here to provide you a service. But then they go and they get into an argument right there with a family member or a spouse, or they just have a rough way of handling things. I think what happens is you, yeah, you probably find some people, but you're probably missing out on a lot of good people. And honestly, good people would keep things going you know you know a population of of good people is going to be a lot more beneficial than a small group of of people that are maybe a little rough around the edges to say the least so that's the first phase of leadership and i think if someone doesn't have that then they're the, the they're 
they're the individuals that generally have these drama issues or these 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 environment issues that they oftentimes complain about you know and uh and i think that's the reason why you know if you really go back to the very beginning of you know uh, you know of what we were talking about you know if you're passionate about jujitsu and you see jujitsu the right way you know you know i mean a black belt you know professor you know that's that's supposed to indicate they have a sense of intelligence you know i mean that the word professor you know it's never really used in any way other than there's a mental capacity that they're referring to so what i found is that whenever you go in that route you have to understand that people are expecting you to be able to solve problems and carry yourself and if you're passionate about it you don't get tired doing that you enjoy doing it and it's something you do on a daily and it's something that you're capable of doing and um and going back to the word genuine it's something that you do because that is who you are and to me that's what leadership really really at the very first stage of it that's 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 pretty much what it involves the other part of it's a different story so um I'd say the other part of leadership is that once you get things up and running and once you get the boat going that you've got to be careful that whenever you you know whenever you decide everything is on par I'm going to step back a little bit and let someone else take over because I'm, you know, I have a couple other projects I'm working on or I'm busy or I'm maybe just tired and I need a break. The leadership that you choose can also be a blessing or it can be a curse because I know some people that what they've done is they've, they've done well and then they take a step back and let someone represent them. But then they didn't really, really look at everything the person was about and the representation becomes misrepresentation. So that individual might be a leader, but then they have a different philosophy and it becomes out, becomes more obvious and then it becomes contradictory to what you really want. So now you have a power struggle and that's probably the worst problem. So that's even a more painful one to, to get past and to make sure that you get right, you know, uh, and not let happen. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And when talking earlier, I mentioned this to you too, that, you know, I, I have my, we're in 2019. I have my academy, just the jujitsu academy for eight years, but I've been teaching in Arizona for, for 20 years, but just the jujitsu academy for eight. And man, we all make so many mistakes throughout our journey. Sometimes you just don't know better. But uh, one of the things that I, I learned with, with my mom and I started to like, and I've been improving. Um, I had issues of doing that kind of like, um, I have the the issue that many of the entrepreneurs have, just like squirrel, just kind of looked at and we just see a shiny object and want to do and start a new project or something like that, you know. And um, sometimes putting the trust in, a, in the wrong people when that that lead to, uh, yeah, even from like um, from not trusting enough people to like actually like steal money from you. I mean, which is kind of like a major, you know, getting to that point, you know, to other minor dramas or or not. But uh, my mom said, there's two ways that you can delegate uh, people. We can supervise or we can neglect, you know. And so the delegation of supervising and like maybe you physically, you know, not as present, but you present in another way of communicating with a, or messages or phone or consistently communicating. And the neglected that it's like you put the trust in someone and then let someone do it. And then she mentioned that, like sometimes you pay a price for that. She said, like in my whole life, she was a secretary. 
people did the neglected one with me that they knew that I was good at my job and they let me, uh, I would just go at the end of the month. They asked me for the final reports and do whatever. And then I did like the problem is that opens a door that if you do have someone with a bad integrity, they can see that and they can take advantage of that. You know, so that is the problem of the neglected one. So with that, I'm definitely was a, a big lesson. And over the years, being trying to tighten up and improve, I still got, <clears throat> and she's my biggest inspiration. She, she's 73 and she's consistently learning and looking for education. And she's, she's, she works uh, full time in a university. So oh. she's a big inspiration for me to keep learning and improving so i see awesome. like i'm i'll be 45 in a in a couple months and I, and i see like man i don't know anything <laughs> you know what i mean i got i got so much to uh to learn and things like that just uh just help me to uh to get situated improve my you business. got a lot of books you have a lot of books behind you i, I try to uh, not only just get information but execute them and again, I think it's important for the listeners too that, man, uh, with your business, you will make a lot of mistakes. But the most important thing, are we willing to learn from it? Are you willing to grow from it instead of like point fingers? And when that situation happened with me, I could be pointing fingers like, oh, that person did this and did that. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm the problem and I'm the solution straight up and for the listeners right now you're having some problem with your some issues going on with your business well you're the problem and you're the solution you know you're you know you run the show that's your show so that's your responsibility so everything i take uh gary vaynerchuk always talks well about this and i i agree with him everything that happens in my academy it's my fault it's my responsibility if i'm the leader I have to take full responsibility. If something happened with an employee, well, I hire the employee. So every everything, and maybe something wasn't done, maybe I didn't express myself uh, clearly enough. So consistently trying to improve, I still got a long ways to go, but I'm trying. <laughs> I think it's a never-ending process of learning, and everything evolves too. Absolutely. So it's like there's there's well, yeah, yeah. There's a you know, I mean, if you want to take a break. You, yeah, well, you probably, well, that's not a good sign of a business owner because honestly, you have to keep moving and you have to keep, you know, your eyes open because things will change and uh, there'll always be new improvements happening. So uh, retirement's a possibility, mm -hmm. but just you got to make sure that, you know, that you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And um, it's a great job when you're doing everything correctly. And, you know, I, I'm trying to build my, my, you know, my, my next representatives, like, you know, close representatives and they're my kids. So fortunately, you know, one of them's taller than me, but there's still that process of getting him to understand. It's not just about being good at jujitsu. It's about being good at, you know, you know, just managing everything and addressing everything and speaking up when you need to speak up and, and uh, also listening, probably very important. I should stress this. Sometimes you have to listen to people's concerns. So yeah. the, the cool thing about having students is that if you listen, you could probably hear the things that they're wanting you to do. And they're giving you the blueprint of what's going to keep them around.
But if you're just stuck in the clouds and you're pretty much doing your own thing, then well, then that's where you're, that's another way that your problems are going to you know start developing as well. Yeah, it's interesting to mention about how the vision you know evolves you know as you get more emotionally mature and so forth. And when I think about retirement, I mean that's my thought process right now. And I think that I think I most likely I'm going to die working. I don't think I'm going to full retirement. Like from this day and on, I don't do anything. Yeah. I just, you know, maybe I'll do that in six months. I'll be going insane. So I don't think I'll ever, ever be able to do that, especially I'm involved with so many things. I'll be doing less. Absolutely. I'll be doing less, but I'll be always involved. And as far as the financial independence that a lot of people think about and in possibly retirement. When I think about financial independence, it's just live the lifestyle that you want to live without having to work. You work because you want. You know, I, I go to my academy because I want, or I, I, I have my events and I go there because I want. So that is, um, that is something that not necessarily is just like, work with something that you know i hate for many 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 years and then like nice and now i can relax and also uh i think it doesn't work for me <laughs> so i i want to make sure that uh i'll be old and probably die working well yeah i think the that jujitsu retirement what i think at least the perception that i what i feel based on conversations is um the ability to train when you when you can't i mean you know as you get older your body doesn't work as well i kind of have things that i notice aren't quite clicking as well as they're supposed to be and i think everyone goes through that probably starts around you know late 30s for most people then 40 and in all these young guys you know they oh my knee hurts no no that's a different thing you know that you the, the little aches and pains that you get from training that's not what we're talking about we're talking about when you sleep and you wake up <laughs> <laughs> there's a pain. Yeah. So that's not normal. So what I'm thinking is, you know, this is the dream. The dream is I go to the, I go to school, I teach, I train at my own comfort. I'm involved, but I'm never dependent on whether someone signs up. I'm never dependent on, on, on having to make a sale. I'm never dependent. And the reason why is because the environment's great. People don't have to be convinced. They just show up. And then I have, these younger uh, individuals that can maybe break a sweat a little bit more if, if needs be, if some division one wrestler comes in and wants to rip their head off and, or my head off it, they can actually go through them. So have them do the dirty work. Yeah. So, so that way I don't have to, I don't have to, to get banged up anymore. So I think that's the dream. That's what I hope happens, you know, to be more of a, on, you know, I don't think you ever want to stop rolling though. Like, because realistically it's, it's just, you know, and this goes back to a passion that I think, you know, you know, I don't know how many years ago it's not, you know, I've stopped saying it's more than 20, but the reason why I started this was because I, you know, because there really is nothing like jujitsu. Jujitsu is an amazing, amazing activity. It's not a martial art. It's not a sport. It's everything, you know, it's just, it's, it's like playing a video game, but a martial art and a sports activity. And it just has so much that it offers that, you know, I, I've, I've tried to step back from rolling a little bit and actually had more pains. So I don't know where this is all going to end. You know, I don't know if I'm going to have to take a, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, 
anti-inflammatories or whatever. But what I do know is that if we play the cards right, it does provide security for us, you know, and there's a way to do it where we're not, we're not pulling people's arms. We're actually offering them something that they appreciate. And, uh, and because we're honest, you know, it's a mutual thing that everyone's happy about. And that's, you know, that's the goal. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the must. Yes, sir. So. so what did you say, Matt, is one habit that you practice daily that has helped you in all aspects of your life? Something that you practice daily. Oh man. Okay. Okay. You say you said so to be clear, you're saying a yeah. habit that I practice yeah. daily. It could be any, anything. Okay. Could it be sleeping, could it be reading, uh, could it be in, right. anything. Uh, well, I mean, if I don't say this, um, I'm really lying. I actually, every morning I wake up with a prayer. That's just the way I believe. Um, and I mean, I want to stress that I'm not radical. I don't like to bug people about stuff because I feel like, you know, just being genuine, but I know that my life has had substantial differences whenever I start with a prayer. So I start with a prayer, you know, and it's not anything. It's just like, you know, to me, my faith, you know, God is, is kind of like a parent. I mean, he is a parent, you know, I don't really look at him like, you know, and I just try to wake up and say, Hey, good morning. You know, so what am I doing today? And, you know, this person's having problems and, you know, and just simple as that. And it just, you know, that's, that's my first habit. My worst habit is I drink diet soda <laughs> and, um, you know, coffee. So, you know, cause you have to get through the day and that's a joke. So, you know, there's something positive and there's something like goofy, but, um, I, I, I would say that. And then, um, and then I'll, I, I think, well, this is also kind of crazy, but I do like to read Proverbs. So every once in a mm-hmm. while, not every once in a while, I actually read one, one little thing. And you know what, maybe it's OCD. Maybe it's something that is, uh, more of a superstition but for some reason um those that are familiar with proverbs it's kind of like common sense stuff so you know there's there's morals there's ethics there's principles that's very simple easy stuff to read and if you pop in there and read one you're going to hear something you know around the tunes of you know people that are intelligent know to keep their mouth shut people that are foolish talk out of line you know i mean but those (laughs) Those little comments, they really are keys to success in life. It's like, you know, the fool wants to tell everybody how much they, you know, they know by talking all the time. Like, like I'm probably talking too much in this interview, but, um, but the intelligent person is quiet, which I noticed when we first started, you're like quiet, you're really reserved. You don't say very many words. You just kind of, yes, yes. And then you say, you know, well, it's so, your uh, interview. You know, I don't want to hijack aside. the interview. <laughs> Yeah, I'm supposed to talk, you know, and I'm trying not to make it too boring, but at the same time, not offend anybody either. But if you were to ask my honest habits, they're real mm-hmm. simple. You know, I mean, I, you know, and usually just, they are. I don't have really, you know, you know there are things that you do because you feel they help you. And that's all that matters. Know, training, obviously, do that. That's a daily, you know, yeah. So, you know, those are the ones that I think maybe are not always normal. I don't see everybody doing. But I, but I am also wanting to stress that it doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, making a big scene or whatever. I think discreet and, you know, I mean, I, I, I definitely want to give people advice if they ask for it, but I never want to impose because everyone, you know, everyone has their, uh, their, their method and 
what I just tell people is, Hey, you know, if you need help, uh, let me know. And there you go. And I'm not trying to convince anybody, you know, just that's up to them. I think, you know, I'm, you, you have things that you do that work and when they do, you keep doing them. And then if someone isn't finding ways to make things work, then that's your chance. Then, you know, that's, that's when you can say something, but other than that, just shut your mouth and don't irritate people. So what did you say is the, the best advice that I've ever received? Anything that pops up in your mind related to whatever could be jujitsu, life, business, doesn't matter. Something that pops up in your mind. Oh, man. Okay. There's been a lot of things, but okay. So, man, I know that I'm probably going to think of another one that I should have said, but I think this is very important. Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Now that was, that was related to me because at the time I was in this mode of trying to accomplish a lot of things like trying to, you know, I was preparing for a tournament and I was preparing for a web thing that I was putting on. I was trying to make this certain item, whatever, you know, uh, not to be too specific, but I had so many projects and then there was someone who had a health issue that was really, 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 it was a scary health issue, but I was so busy. I was like, I don't know how I can do this, man. Like I don't, I don't have any more time on my plate to make a fundraiser event or whatever. And then the, that word pretty much stood out with one of the, it was one of, one of my coaches that, you know, he's a student, he's a coach and he goes, you know, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you really care. He's actually a pastor too. So, so he, uh, you know, so he's always got his head on straight. He's just, he's got a giving heart and everything. And, and uh, long story short, that really, really stuck in my head. And then, uh, you know, and then another parallel to that was by uh, someone that I know that's, yeah, he's, you know, he, uh, well, I don't know if I should say his name, so I'm not. I'm just going to say he's a comedian that's really, really abrasive, has abrasive humor. But he also said what I try to do, this is his, you know, his statement was, I reach out to people and I want to let them know that it matters they're alive. And, and that, you know, and this is a gentleman who he, he's a comedian. He's very established, famous comedian. Um, and when you look at his jokes and his humor, you think like this guy is, yeah, this guy's really, you know, he's, he's out there, but he makes a habit of calling people and he talks to people and reaches out to them and just says, just want to check on you, make sure you're okay. To me, those are two amazing, um, those two individuals have amazing habits that I think make a huge difference. More than someone saying something and acting, you know, perfect, but then totally ignoring someone that's right there and needs help. So, um, so I, I learned from, from those two statements or those two, you know, those two conversations. And I really think that, you know, bottom line is, you know, a lot of people they're overlooking that by trying to do great things or more or less focus on things that are more self self-absorbing. And really when it, when it comes right down to it, what, what matters most is if you're reaching out to people and helping them out. Right so, yeah. so what advice would you give to the younger Matt back in 2003 when you open your school? Not that you want anything different in your journey because you, you are where you're, at right now in your life because of all the choices that, that you made and everything. But after all these years, if you could go back and give him one little device, say, Hey buddy, just watch this here, what that would be. Um, well, 
I mean, man, you know, I mean, I, I, if you talk to Jill, she'll probably say you could have done this better, you know, and cause she, she, you know, she lived through everything, you know, and, you know, she's been a very supportive wife and, and everything, but, uh, I almost feel like, wow, there wasn't really too many bad things that happened that I do over differently. But when I really start thinking about it, yeah, there's a couple things that I noticed that maybe were probably very bad, but fortunately they didn't, you know, develop. What I would tell my, my younger self, and I tell this to everybody when they're starting off now, is it work hard, stay focused, swing for the fences. But don't forget to talk to your family. Do not forget to spend time with them because they're going to grow up fast or there might be problems that need to be addressed that escalate. And whatever you're accomplishing, no matter how awesome it is, it doesn't feel anything worthwhile with a broken heart or empty heart. So, and I, you know, I mean, I I think now I, I have that totally figured out. If there's something that I'm doing that is really, really important, but my family's you know, I don't like traveling without my wife or my, or my kids because realistically, I don't care how great some thing is that's happening. If they're not there to en- enjoy it with me, then I feel kind of empty. It really cuts everything in half. And so don't be a workaholic, you know, work hard, but then at the same time, make sure that you acknowledge your family, make sure you include them, chime in because, uh, you know, in the end, you're going to want them there. You're going to want them there for everything. So maybe not that dog though, that dog I don't want around right now, if you can hear it. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> sorry if he's too loud. I don't know. It's all good. Well, I'm lucky that I have like five pets at home. Sometimes I need to manage uh, them. Sometimes I got to kick someone out of here of my office. Someone is snoring or something like, all right, you got to move. But I've been lucky that no one's barking right now. So what book would you recommend and why? I don't know if you have the habit of, uh, reading or listening to audiobooks or podcasts or anything like that. But is there any book that have read that made an impact on you or stood out? Man, yeah. So, so Jill makes fun of me over this because you know half of our family reads a lot and then the other half doesn't. So she reads all the time, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't read a lot of books. But Essie Hinton, The Outsiders, you know, that's one that I picked up, and you know, it has nothing to do with anything business wise. But um, I heard The Art of War. I've, I've read a little bit of that, and I heard that was, you know, I haven't read the whole thing, but maybe someone that's looking for motivation might, might find that to be interesting. So um, one of my smart training partners, uh, I'll say his name is Valdo. You know, that's a book that he, he says is very, very helpful. So probably the reason why I don't read as much is because I'm actually a student too. So I'm, I'm at, at Cal State right now, and trying to finish up you know so I have plenty of things to read so it's taken away from my my reading as far as uh you know there's only so many hours in the day and whenever I start doing something you know for the sake of recreation so right now um I'm being forced to read a lot of different textbooks so everything from social media to criminal justice to you know well interesting stuff right so but um, all of that goes hand in hand too. I mean, I'm learning how to communicate with media and also learning how to maybe understand people's characteristics as far as what they're prone to, you know, right on. problematically have issues with violence or whatever. So 
that's a that's an interesting topic that I'm learning more about. Cool. So certain signs. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. So for all the listeners, if you're listening for the first time, usually after the interview, what I do, I, what it's called, the final thoughts, I just reflect on the, the interview, and then I kind of share an audio from five to twelve minutes about the takeaway that I got from the interview and hopefully can inspire and impact and improve your life in some way. So now I'd like to know what you're currently excited about, what's going on, maybe talk a little bit more about the, the true jitsu. It would be nice for people who don't know about it. Do you have online training too? No. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, we, I have a, I have a web show that we, that we film and it's basically like an instructional program that helps people put the concepts together of what I, you know, what jitsu is about. So jitsu, why jitsu happened was for two reasons, because after you teach a while, you start to have students that eventually want to have, you know, their own programs or they want to have their own. So, you know, that's recently happened. One of our students, um, Sam Campanella, he moved to Idaho and he has an academy and I have a, another individual that's getting ready to start another program in another part of California. So, it's inevitable. I, you know, once you get teaching a certain amount of time, you have students that you see go from white to black after their couple of years. And they're like, well, you know, it's time for me to move on. So true jitsu was an opportunity to create a platform for them that, you know, that was going to be a viable option that, you know, that wasn't going to be about, you know, necessarily making them pay, you know, a lot of money to, to use it. So, so true jitsu became basically, the title for the way that we were training in the system that we were training in and what jujitsu is. And this has been a, a very interesting conversation, but I would sum it up as a style of playing that you can do when you are physically limited. But the funny thing is, is that you don't have to be hurt to do jujitsu. In other words, in other words, it's not just for people that have injuries or people that are old or people you know, we have a lot of young athletes that are doing very well just using the concepts. And, um, you know, I, I, a lot of the concepts developed during a time when I had a really bad neck injury and right, the right side of my arm wasn't working very well. And, uh, and I was about to retire from a competition, like, okay. And I remember at that time I, as I, I had a, I had a DVD project and I don't know if, you know, those are many could probably relate whenever you have a project or something, you kind of want to back it up. And my thought was, man, I need to do a little bit more, a couple more tournaments just, just so I can say that on the, you know, on the cover and then I'm going to stop. But what ended up happening was it was just a, 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 you know, kind of, I started figuring out a couple of different things that I noticed were making my neck worse. And I started noticing a couple of things that were like, man, I, I can't, use my right hand as well as I used to. So I need to start using my legs differently. And then that was basically the beginning of, of, of a lot of different, you know, philosophy and belief change on, on how to approach jujitsu. So, um, so that's a development. You get all these different moving parts that go together and jujitsu was created. So right on. what and, is the uh, website? So far it's been a really good run. Um, it, it's true. It, usually if you just type in true jitsu spelled T R U J I T S U, it's all one word, it'll surface, but true jitsu revolution is the actual, the actual website, true jitsu revolution.com. But most of the time people can find it just by Googling true jitsu. 
And, um, you know, we have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of instructionals that are the, you know, the thing that, that I try to express with people is it, it's simple. Simplicity is what brings success in a lot of things, you know, logos, art, simple, um, you know, restaurant changes, you know, chains in and out is very simple. Chipotle is very simple. So, you know, it's not uncommon, you know, for other businesses to succeed with simplicity. So, or styles or systems. So what we do with Trujitsu, a lot of it is very simple, but it's set up in a certain way where it works more than something that's complicated. And that's another thing, you know, knowing what to do is only part of it. It's when you do it and how you do it and the approach. And, um, Another thing that, you know, that's related to is basically, you know, when people go into court, you know, and, you know, the art of speaking, you know, if you're speaking nonstop and saying too many things, then that's less productive than just saying straight short answers, you know, unless it's a conversation, of course, you know, then it's like, it's nice to be social, but um, we're talking about effectiveness and, um, you know, the jujitsu project was based on figuring out the most effective way to play jujitsu. And then writing all these notations down and, you know, rules and concepts and everything. And, and then, uh, that's what brought it to where it's at right now. So, so, uh, you know, it, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not about trying to, you know, make another brand. It's actually a system. Wow. Nice, so. man. So thank you so much for your time, Matt. It's been a great interview. Uh, if you want, if people want to know more about your schools, is that the same website or is it a different one? Same. Yeah, yeah. The Trujitsu website, that's the one that's for, you know, okay. everything involving Trujitsu. So there's mattbakerbjj.com, but that's more for my local stuff for, for the Bakersfield area. So, but the actual Trujitsu, you know, concepts and revolution and movement and all of that, you know, all of that is going to be found under Trujitsu. That's the global site. So I don't thank you so much, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So it's been a joy talking to you and um, keep doing awesome things. So good stuff. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Ooze. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with third degree black belt, Matt Baker. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Matt is a gold medalist at the 2019 IBJJF Masters World Championship and the owner of two academies in Bakersfield, California. He talked about the passion that is required to run a business, how important it is to keep things simple, and my takeaway from the interview came when he talked about leadership being one of the most overlooked skills by beginners and experienced entrepreneurs, which inspired me to title this episode, Be the Leader You'd Follow. I read a simple definition of leadership that said, it's the art of motivating a group of people to act towards achieving a common goal. This leadership definition captures the essential of being able to inspire others and being prepared to do so. Do you consider yourself an effective leader? Are you a leader that you'd follow? When I look back in my career, I'm aware of how clueless I was about leadership in different moments of my life. I overlooked leadership because I didn't know better. I mentioned during the interview that I started to improve my leadership skills about 10 years ago when I was introduced to personal development and self-awareness. And because of that, I took my first step to raise my leadership skills level. 
Am I great at it? No, but I genuinely work my best to keep improving, and you should do the same. There are incredible books, audiobooks, podcasts, and great mentors online sharing leadership videos that you can get a lot of information from, and it will help you during your journey of becoming the leader you would follow. Maybe you can say, Gustavo, I believe I'm a really good leader. Fair enough. However, you can always become an even better leader. The learning process never ends. One characteristic that many other active leaders share as one of the essential traits to lead others is the feeling of trust because you want to trust your leader. I'm going to share with you two audio clips from two leadership experts talking about trust. Colin Powell, former U.S. Secretary of State, followed by Simon Sinek, the author of Start With Why and Leaders Eat Less. Great books I highly recommend. Check it out. My name is Amy Wilkinson. I'm a White House Fellow. My question is how you would define the key characteristics of effective leadership that allow you to go and be an advocate for good. Trust. The, the longer I have been in public service and the more people have asked me about leadership over the years, uh, leadership ultimately comes down to creating conditions of trust within an organization. Good leaders are people who are trusted by followers. Leaders take organizations past the level that the science of management says is possible. Uh, one of my sergeants back in uh, the infantry school at Fort Benning almost 50 years ago, which is where I learned everything I ever got to learn about leadership, was at the infantry school. And he said to me one day, he said, Lieutenant, you'll know you're a good leader when people follow you, if only out of curiosity. <laughs> I've never had a better uh, definition. Because what he was saying, and, I, and I've, seen it, I've seen it experienced in my life so many times, what he was saying is they trust you. And you have built up that trust. How did you do it? Clear mission and statement, selfless service. Um, people look to you and they trust you because you're serving selflessly as the leader, not self-serving, selflessly. And that you prepare the followers, you train them, you give them what they need to get the job done. Don't give them a job if you're not going to give them the resources. And that you're prepared to take the risks with them. And so they would teach us at the infantry school, no matter how cold it is, Lieutenant, you must never look cold. No matter how hungry you all are, Lieutenant, you must never appear hungry. No matter how terrified you are, Lieutenant, you must never look terrified. Because if you are scared, terrified, hungry, and cold, they will be scared, terrified, hungry, and cold. I've gotten away with that many, many times in the course of my career by being scared to death, cold, and wanting to go to sleep. But no, let's go. Let's keep going. Let's go around this corner, if only out of curiosity. And they'll follow you into the darkest night, down the deepest valley, up the highest hill, if they trust you. So the essence of leadership is about doing all that the science of management says you can with resources, but then taking that extra step and giving it that spark. And that spark comes from getting people to trust you so that they will follow you, if only out of curiosity. Thank you. Why is trust a leadership skill that should be taught? That's a, that's a hard question. Um, you can't teach people to trust. You know, th this is, I think, one of the reasons it's, um, these, these subjects are dismissed as fluffy or unnecessary. 
is because they are inherently feelings. Trust is a feeling. That's what it is. You know, ew, feelings, you know. Um, but that's what it is. Trust is a feeling as is loyalty. These are feelings that we have towards people or organizations. And so, like all feelings, um, they, um, it's positive feelings, they have to be earned and they evolve and they take a series of, of actions to prove that you are worthy of trust. And so, you know, when it, no matter how excited you are to start a new job, no matter how excited they are to have you, you don't feel a part of the company immediately. It just doesn't happen. Um, you don't know the language, you don't know the customs, you don't know the, the, the traditions, you don't fit in quite yet, they don't really know who you are. And over the course of time, little by little, you'll do little things, you'll put yourself out for others. Little by little, they'll give you a little more and a little more. And over the course of six, seven, eight, nine months, you'll actually start to feel like, I belong here, I feel like it, you know? If you go years without feeling like you belong, you probably don't. Yeah, no, trust is not something that can be dictated. Trust me, or trust each other. Cooperate. Why don't you guys, if you guys cooperate, you know, we'll have some more. It's not how it works. It's environmental. Yeah. Um, it's always environmental. And for organizations that lack that environmental trust, how do you help organizations turn that around? It comes from the commitment to leadership. I mean, leaders determine the environment. Leaders determine how, how big and how porous the circle of safety is. You take a look at a company like Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs back in the 70s and 80s, they were the Boy Scouts of Wall Street. That's what they referred to as. They believed in something called long-term greed, which is it's okay to make money, but they had this long perspective. And they were n renowned for doing the right thing and sometimes taking short-term losses because it was the right thing to do. Um, that was their culture, you know? And through a series of poor management decisions and then going public um, exaggerated some of those things, they no longer or uh, put as much weight on evaluating someone's uh, uh, cultural fit when making the hire. Now you had the sort of trader mentality started to, you know, take, take hold inside the culture. And what you started to see was the disintegration of a high values culture where it was no longer about protecting the reputation and protecting each other. It was now about protecting myself and advancing myself. And we've seen what's happened. You know, they, they played a role in, in, um, in what we've seen happen to the economy um, because without a circle of safety, what happens is we inherently concern ourselves with our own survival. Mm -hmm. Biologically, we become cynical, mm -hmm. we become um, uh, selfish, and we become paranoid. Um, that's what happens when we don't feel trust. When you don't trust somebody who you know you, that you live with, when you don't trust somebody in a relationship, you become paranoid that everything they're doing is trying to hurt you. Right. You know, we, we, are, we become cynical of everything they say. We become self-interested. We start doing things to protect ourselves and building walls. Well, it's the exact same thing inside organizations. When we do not feel safe, we will do things to protect ourselves, which will ultimately um, damage and hurt the culture and the company. I hope these audios have inspired you to research more information on leadership. Maybe currently your business is a one-person show without employees, but as your business grows, you will need to keep raising your leadership skills, and books and audiobooks can definitely help you with that. I would like to wrap up with the Simon Sinek's quote. Quote, the great leaders are not the strongest. They are the ones that are honest about their weaknesses. The great leaders are not the smartest. They are the ones who admit how much they don't know. The great leaders cannot do everything. They are the ones who look to others to help them. Great leaders don't see them as great. They see themselves as human. Unquote. Oh, 
We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.